He is a survivor of one of the most horrific moments in thoroughbred racing in recent memory. Joe Herrick's story will put a different perspective on the beginning of the Del Mar season. Plus, it was called the worst reckless riding ever seen in Australia. What has become of the jockey who was involved in that incident? We'll have all of that coming up next here on In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll silent. And they're off. As they move to the top of the It's a hip-hopping finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Boys or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Boys. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. As the 79th Del Mar summer racing season begins, it has a slightly different tinge to it from any previous one. It's the first meet since last fall, when Del Mar hosted its first ever Breeders' Cup. But, less than a week after Del Mar's fall season concluded last year, a wildfire hit the San Luis Rey Downs Training Center, just 31 miles to the north of Del Mar. Forty-six horses lost their lives that day. Two horsemen were also badly injured in that chaos. Martine Balak, wife of trainer Pierre Balak Jr. and daughter-in-law of the Daily Racing Forum's beloved cartoonist known as Peb. And also injured that day was trainer Joe Herrick, who suffered burns on 23% of his body as he rescued a filly named Lovely Finish from her stall that day. He has said that he could choose to stay in bed in a fetal position, but will not let this situation defeat him. An amazing spirit, and as Del Mar opens its doors for the first time since that tragedy, we are so pleased to be able to welcome trainer Joe Herrick here to In the Gate. How do you feel these days? Oh, you know, it's good to be healthy and, and every, everything. My burns are pretty much healed and aren't burning and itching so much anymore. As far as that goes, it's good, but, you know, there's still some days when you feel the the heartbreak and the grief from losing horses so it's it's kind of i guess it's something that's just going to take some time maybe you know that i'll never get over some things you know do you consider this almost like the same kind of post-traumatic stress that a soldier might feel in combat well yeah you get you definitely have more empathy for what our fighting men go through and you realize, you know, there's things like, you know, fire engines, sirens, horses kicking walls, guys yelling or whatever. It, it kind of like want to definitely bring back the flood of horrible memories. Yeah. There's moments where you, it all comes back and hits you. Have you sought treatment for that? No, no. I'm, you know, I, I just consider it normal. I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's just, I guess maybe I'm too proud to. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is it is it too much to ask that you take us through what that whole day was like? Well, um, yeah, most of us have already left the grounds, and we find out that there's a fire coming, so we had to head back to work. And 
you know, we've had a lot of fires there before and they've always gone around us. And we we thought we might get some air support and they'd get on it. And really, we didn't get any air support. And the fire engines that did show up really didn't get in the in position to, to defend it. They kind of went in the middle of nowhere and didn't, didn't really have a good uh, grasp of what was going to happen either. So it was uh, just a lot of uh, chaos and not, not very well. Now, the fire claimed six of the seven horses that you had, but tell us about how Lovely Finish and you escaped together. Yeah, I managed the lead pony out, too, and I got another horse out who ended up running back in. And then uh, I went in to get Lovely Finish, and the barn was, I mean, it it went up in a couple seconds. It was just you know, even though we had wet everything down and soaked everything down, it didn't matter. It just basically imploded in a couple of seconds. So her and I were going out of the stall and the fire came over the wall from the other side and, and hit us as we were going out of the stall. And I, I had a hold of her halter and uh, she just basically launched both of us out of the stall and we landed right, right there in the middle of the shed row. And then, I got her out into the open, and she just bolted and took off. And you held on to her? Well, I held on to her as long as I could, but once she got in the open and took off, I couldn't hold on anymore. So I grabbed the hose, hosed myself off. I, I knew I was burned on. I heard my hair singe and everything. And uh, I grabbed the hose and doused myself and tried to go back into the barn. And I got a you know, flame right in, the, right in the face. I covered my face with my arms and hands and... There was just no going back in. Couldn't get back in there. Oh, my goodness. I had read that Lovely Finish wouldn't leave your side. Is that right? Well, she, I ran after her, and, uh, you know, there was a bunch of firemen standing there gathered around, and they're like, we got to stop him. There's a burn, burn victim. And I ran right by him, and I saw Lovely Finish running around. She saw me, and she just ran right up to me, so... Then I wouldn't leave her until the I got a vet to treat her right right away. And the firemen were trying to were pleading with me to get in the truck and leave. And I'm like, I'm not leaving her till I get my groom here. And a friend of mine went and found my groom, and then I was able to get in the truck and get treatment. We're talking with trainer Joe Herrick here on In the Gate. Now, what does lovely finish mean to you now, considering, you know, that she went through the same experience that you did, obviously? It's funny because before the fire, the, the grooms were calling her my girlfriend. And I said, <laughs> after the fire, it's more like a marriage. <laughs> it is a marriage. Did I read correctly that you drove two backstretch workers to a home improvement store a day after you left the hospital? Yeah, we. I found out that the guys were cold and needed heaters, and we went and got some uh, space heaters for them. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, how long were you in the hospital? Twelve days. They were telling me I was going to be there for months, and so the fact that I got out of there in twelve days was a miracle in itself. They thought I was going to need skin grafts and everything, and it turned out I didn't. So. But there you are helping these two other people. Like, you're still not in great shape. And I read that that's also not the first act of heroism you've ever had. 
pulled a drowning girl out of Laguna Beach. You delivered CPR in the Del Mar equipment room and rescued a couple of people who'd flipped a kayak in chilly water once. I mean, I'm a first responder at work. I mean, I think we should hire you to run our ESPN safety department, you know? <laughs> well, you, know, you do what you can. And sometimes, you know, I was, I was definitely prepared to... I was trained as a lifeguard, so I had that background. So I was prepared to do what I had to do. What has the outpouring of help been like for you? Oh, the, uh, yeah, the community's been amazing. The, the horse community rallied, and people came from all over and helped us out and helped the vets treat our horses. And, and then the community was just amazing. Everybody descended upon Delmar to help out. And, you know, financially they helped out and physically they helped out. It's been amazing. Now, there is a GoFundMe page for Joe Herrick and Lovely Finish for anyone who's interested in helping out, and that's important because you lost all of your equipment, too, in addition to six of your seven horses, and plus there are still medical bills ahead, obviously. How are you coping with all of that? Well, you know, you roll with the punches in life, and, and everybody's helped out a lot. I mean... I did lose like $25,000 worth of equipment and about $100,000 worth of horses. But, you know, you got to you gotta pick yourself up and get back on and ride. You know, it's just the way you do it. What does it mean to you that San Luis Ray Downs has been rebuilt and reopened? Uh, I, it, it means the world to be back there. I mean, that's, that's been my, I've been there for 23 years now and it's, it's a great track. It's a great atmosphere. And uh, I want to really thank Santa Anita for doing such a great job and, and the manager there getting us back in there and, and getting us back, back going, back training. Well, and as a symbol of recovery from what happened, does it mean anything to you that way? Oh, yeah. You know, it just means that we can, we, we've overcome. We're not laying around and being victims and saying, oh, poor me, poor me. We're back training and we're back working. So that's that's what we all needed to do is get back to work. How much longer and to what extent do you plan to continue training horses? Um, I, I don't ever plan on retiring. I love it. I love what I do. I'll, I'll be in this business till <laughs> until I'm underground, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly wish you the absolute best in your recovery and of your business and of your physical stature. Thank you so, so much for a few minutes, sir. Thank you, Barry. God bless you. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for calling me. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate. But when we come back, the 18-month riding suspension of a jockey in Australia for what's been called the worst reckless riding ever seen in that country is about to expire. What has become of the jockey involved in that? We'll talk to him when we come back. Welcome back to the In The Gate podcast. You're about to hear the call of a race at a track named Morfittville on the southern coast of Australia. The date was January 14th, 2017, and this is race number eight. The horse on the lead is named Murty. Murty goes on to win. Two of the favorites in this race, 
Go the Journey and House of Wax seemed to be mounting charges at the top of the stretch. Murdy inside the 200 still led. He's starting to wander around under pressure. To Beers on us, just Cappy. Go the Journey, House of Wax wider. Murdy, he needs the line. Call me Curtis flashing. Murdy, Murdy gets home. Two of the favourites in this race were completely wiped out by a horse named Senior Counsel. Senior counsel was in the two-path or so at the top of the stretch, then made a severe right-hand turn and veered five or six paths out, where he pinballed with three other horses, including those favorites. Senior counsel was ridden that day by Josh Cartwright, who was immediately suspended for reckless riding. He was suspended for 18 months following the incident, which the stewards called the worst reckless riding they had ever seen in Australia. And, as you'll see, the whole incident had a devastating effect on Cartwright. We tried to contact Josh Cartwright a year ago, six months into his suspension. He was not ready to talk about his life at that time, but now that the suspension is just about to end, Josh Cartwright appears to be in a far different place from where he was in January of 2017, and we are pleased to welcome former jockey, now trainer, Josh Cartwright, here to win the gate. So let's start with this. From what I gather, you were both training and racing horses at the same time. I know that happens in harness racing, but not typically in thoroughbred racing. Even Joseph O'Brien, son of the legendary Aidan O'Brien, waited until he got too big to ride and then started training. What was it like trying to do both? Yeah, so I was. I have a farm and I was managing my own farm I was training racehorses and obviously race riding at the same time and obviously taking a lot of outside rides around that time as well and riding a lot of track work in the early mornings and a lot of breezes and all that sort of thing. So it was pretty busy time for me. What was it like trying to do all of those things in terms of managing stress? Uh, well, I was only 22 then, obviously. I'm 23 now. Yeah, so it was, it was a lot. Obviously, I'd never handled any pressure like that before. And as a jockey, uh, a lot of the things in your life you can control, I've found. You can control what time you leave for the races. You, you can control a lot of things. But whereas when you're working with animals, there's not a lot of control. As you, When I say working closely with animals, not just... Yeah, working closely with animals, say, as a trainer or as a farm manager, things do go wrong. And I I wasn't prepared for it, to be honest. Well, in retrospect, now, how would you have handled those dual jobs differently? What I've learned over the last 18 months, and and I'm still learning to the day, is when things go wrong, I, I used to let my emotions control me. And a lot of that was what happened was I, I, I got very emotional over everything because I couldn't control anything and a lot of things were going wrong and it was disastrous and uh, yeah I just virtually just let my emotions control me and and obviously did what I did and and uh, I paid the price but I've, I've taken a massive lesson from it and it's been a great lesson for me to just to learn not only to control myself but you know this is life this is what happens bad things happen and things and you, and you do end up running out of schedule when you're working with animals because they get out or you know something's wrong and you've got to ring a vet or any of those kind of things 
So how do you see now what happened that day? Obviously, the first 12 months, I lived in a massive amount of regret. I really hated on myself for the first 12 months. I, I really did struggle, I will be honest. I really did struggle because I still couldn't believe what I'd done and I couldn't accept the consequences of what I'd done and how badly, how bad it was and how people now looked at me and all those sort of things. I really did struggle for 12 months, you know, and it's only been the last six months that I've really looked forward and just sort of said to myself, well, oh, well, you know, life does go on, unfortunately. Well, we have to move on. And that's from now on, obviously, I'm always looking forward now. I don't look back, but look, like I said, for the for those 12 months, it's probably one of the hardest 12 months I've ever, ever lived. And I was constantly looking behind me, wondering, you know, back to times, I wish I could go back to that time, obviously, and not done what I'd done. Had you thought about ending it all? Oh, definitely. I'd had a lot of bad days, and and they got worse. There was, there was plenty of worse days after my incident, and whether it be financial you know, workload, um, all those things. It's a lot of stress and it's very, very, it was very, very overwhelming for me, all the work. And obviously I had to continue to work because I had a mortgage to pay and I had, you know, obviously animals and everything. So I had to work very hard and I still am now. I, I really had, you know, there, there wouldn't have been many days in that 12 months time I didn't think about ending it. We're talking with Josh Cartwright here on In the Gate. He had been a jockey, now a trainer. We'll get to the trainer part in just a bit. Who helped you get through this? Uh, a lot of it was myself. I do have a lot of good friends, and I did did uh, did used to call a lot of my friends and, and lean on them for help. And, you know, I never told them the extent of it because I didn't want them to completely freak out. But I always sort of did lean on those people and they always sort of helped me through. Um, I have a I have a lovely, oh, what we'd call a Marima sheepdog over here, a lovely big dog, and he's my mate. He follows me around all day when I'm breaking in horses or training horses or uh, working out on the farm, and he's a great mate for me, and, and, and he is a, a, lot of the, a lot of the help for me, even though, obviously, he's only a dog, but he's a great, he's a great pal of mine, and he, he certainly has helped me through a lot of tough times. Well, it's almost like how you've heard that horses are used for therapy for soldiers who've suffered through PTSD. It sounds much the same. Yeah, like, uh, oh, obviously a big thing now is is um, young children with um, autism, or obviously they get they're getting uh, animals as well, and that, they're really finding that an effective way of helping those kids through their their nervous moments and all that sort of thing too. So you decided, I guess, to become a full-time trainer after you were set down from riding. What was that process like? Well, I had two options when everything happened. I had the option of selling everything and turning around and turning my back completely on the industry and forgetting about everything, which would have been a very, very easy option. And I really feel... Uh, that I want to be in this industry and that's why I made the decision to uh, continue and break in horses which I did for my first six months when I was disqualified 
and obviously progressed into training horses after my six months disqualification was up. And yeah, so that was the line I took. Obviously, I had to clench my fists and sort of run through a brick wall because it wasn't an easy task to do. It wasn't easy to turn up to a race course or any of those sort of things because people do know who you are. And I was very embarrassed to begin with, but I've I've really worked through it now. And like I said, I've got some great people behind me, and it's been uh, been a been a different journey, but it's been a tough one, and it's been a it's been a been a uh, a good learning curve. Well, here's the thing. When you go to build relationships with potential clients, and as you say, they clearly knew what had happened to you, what was your elevator pitch to them? Well, my biggest benefit is is that I say the, ho- the horse I have in today, we'll just use him as an example, I purchased him all on behalf of my mother, um, she bought him. We went to the sales and we picked him out. And obviously, we only paid a small amount of money for him. He was brought back to my property. He was broken in by myself. He was spelled on the property. And for him, obviously, last start, he won really nicely. And he should be uh, in the money again today. Uh, he is a product of myself. And there's not many people that sort of do that whole process on its own. They usually go off to a, a ranch somewhere and get broken in and then they go onto a you know a spelling farm and then onto a trainer and they go through several hands before they're in their final trainer's um, position to go to the races whereas with myself I get to know the horse very well because he pretty well does everything through me. The other part of this though is as you said it would have been easy to walk away from everything but continuing to be around racing and watching other jockeys ride races after what's happened to you does it feel somewhat like an alcoholic who watches other people drink at the bar? Uh, not really. Look, a lot of people, I wouldn't say that, no, because I, I don't necessarily, I don't miss miss riding. There's no doubt about it. Like, my riding suspension is up next month. I'm not entirely sure whether I'll ride again or not. I'm not 100% sure yet. I am light enough. I haven't put on too much weight. Probably due to the amount of work I do is I do keep my weight down and it's quite active. But yeah, like you say, I, 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 sometimes I do have flashes of that, but I wouldn't say I'm dying because I can't, I don't want to go out right, um, I can't go out riding or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, look, that's pretty well where I'm at in that regard. Well, as far as I'm concerned, this interview is a year in the making. We had been following this story for a while, and we're so glad to hear that you're on your feet and pointed in a positive direction. And thank you so much for a few minutes, Mr. Cartwright. We wish you the best of success in the years to come. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks to Josh Cartwright and to Joe Herrick. In February of 2006, at a sale of two-year-olds, each horse ran a furlong so buyers could gauge their speed. One colt covered that eighth of a mile in nine and four-fifths seconds, which made buying him not a want, he became a need. The numbers started rising quickly as the auctioneer continued, leaving only the big boys, Godolphin and Coolmore. They blew past 10, then 12, and even 14 million dollars. But at 16, even the Arabs could bid no more. So what did Coolmore get in the horse they named the Green Monkey? Three lifetime starts with no finish better than third. 
no matter right. The Irish bought him for his unique bloodlines, but he covered under a hundred mares, not even a herd. The green monkey was euthanized at age 14 recently. His star-crossed place in history now secure. Like Joe Barry Carroll, Ryan Leaf, and even Larue Martin, blue chip prospects whose final results were poor. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In the Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.